Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. All right, so we're back for our novel coronavirus update. On March 11th, 2020. Week three. Week three of our special edition. And I have to admit, I thought that it was going to calm down by now, Mm -mm. but really the opposite (laughs) has happened, right? It's really starting to ramp up and we're starting to get more data. We're starting to learn more. Mm -hmm. We're getting more confirmed cases. We're seeing which groups are really affected. Mm -hmm. But in turn, we're hearing about this all the time in the media. We are. I mean, a lot of it is worldwide stuff. It's really just exploded in Italy. Really dramatic increases there. Right. So give us an update on what the numbers are now, Mm -hmm. specifically here in the United States, but also worldwide. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so worldwide, there's um, over 118,000 cases um, that have been reported, over 4,000 deaths. And in the U.S., um, over 1,000 cases, 1,025 as of today, and um, 28 deaths in the U.S. Okay. And last week, we talked a little bit about how the availability of testing was going to increase. And so are we seeing that that more people are getting tested here in the U.S. now? We are. We don't have reliable numbers because the tests aren't being done just at the CDC or at public health laboratories. Some of them are being done in commercial laboratories, but we know there's wider availability. We know there's several commercial laboratories that are doing this. We know that in California, um, we've got the state Department of Health and several county departments of health are doing the testing. And um, several university um, hospitals and labs are doing the testing. Okay. And so I saw that today we are calling this a public health emergency? A public health emergency and a pandemic. A pandemic. So what does that mean? So pandemic occurs when there is involvement of widespread transmission on more than one WHO, World Health Organization region, region, like Asia and North America, for example. Okay, so since it's involving multiple continents, that's mm-hmm. why it's now classified as a pandemic. Every continent except Antarctica, as far as I'm aware, yes. Okay, <laughs> okay. And so now we're also seeing um, more closures of schools, more um, cancellation of sporting events and big concerts and things like that. In our area, um, the University of California Davis has canceled classes and they're just going to do online finals. Um, so why are people taking these extreme precautions and do our listeners need to make sure that they're avoiding areas with large groups. Yeah, so I think this is the evolution of the transmission. Early on, we were trying to detect every single case and then do contact tracing to try to figure out who around them might have been infected. But really, now that the cat's out of the bag, now that the disease is known community transmission occurring, now that we have that, now really we move on to the next step, which is more mitigation, more decreasing the number of cases. We're not, we don't have the manpower, the people power to do the contact tracing um, anymore. And we can't really furlough everybody who's had potential contact anymore. There'd be nobody working if we did that. Yeah. 
So this is what they're calling social distancing. Exactly. So what we talked before about how the transmission is by droplet, meaning that somebody coughs or sneezes and these large droplets could travel up to six feet away. And do we know that it's droplet precaution or droplet in well, transmission? I'll, I'll have to qualify that. We, we do know that in general. There's some exceptions to that. Like okay. if, if you... If you do like a medical procedure in the respiratory tract of a person, you can get it um, more aerosolized. And so I see, I see. Could, but could, you have to it, be like in it. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So if you're away from other people, if you're not close to them, the chances of you getting it are very small. It could still be transmitted by touching infected surfaces and then touching your face, but that's less uh, a less common mode of transmission. So if you get rid of these large congregations of people, like classrooms or sporting events or other large gatherings of people with the, all the cheering and the booing you could get it essentially get a <laughs> droplet pretty easily at a sporting yeah, event yeah at a sporting event or a concert where people are singing <laughs> yeah. along and screaming and stuff like that yeah yeah so that's that's how some some public health um recommendations and that's how it's evolving and we see this um nationally so i would expect most um you know, m- most of these large gatherings to be canceled in the coming weeks. Do we know how long that's going to last? We don't know. Based on the experience with China, um, we think that it's going to peak in about a month or two in the U.S., but that is a, purely a guess, purely a guess. Right. Hard to say. It's hard to say because we're a different, completely different society than in China, and the social interactions and the patterns are so different. So different. So last time we talked about how this seems to be not severely affecting children. Is Mm. that still true? That's still true. There are some children who might end up in the ICU, and that's been reported from China. But um, I'm not aware of any deaths that have occurred less than 10 years of age. And only 2% of the cases worldwide have been reported less than 20 years of age. So the vast majority of symptomatic people are adults. Okay. And I know within... The general population, there are some what we call high-risk groups, and mm-hmm. those would be elderly people. Yes, older, or the CDC is calling them. <laughs> yeah, you're, I know you're laughing because of your age. Because <laughs> it's my age, so it's older adults is what they're saying, and they they haven't written this down on their website. But when they when they give interviews, it's like anybody older sixty, and I'm older sixty. I'm older than sixty, so yeah. I'm sixty one. Yeah. So um, I fall into that risk group of older adults. But really, the older you are, being being older than seventy is a higher risk than older than sixty. Being old, being older than eighty is even higher risk. And I think there are some recommendations that they've given to that older than sixty group. Yeah, anybody at high risk will be older than 60, and we should just finish up. Other people in the high risk group would be those with weakened immune systems or any other sort of chronic illness like heart disease, kidney disease, diabetes, things like that. And there are kids that fall into that category. Yeah, certainly. So kids that have different types of cancers that are on Mm -hmm. chemotherapy or or kidney disease. Um, lots of different kids that could fall into the immunocompromised category. Right. We follow some of those. So we've had, mm-hmm. we've had, I know our, our nurse Tammy, she had two phone calls today from concerned parents um, yeah. about that. So it's, which is perfectly appropriate. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're recommending more social distancing, meaning less, less um, interaction with the public, um, trying not to go to grocery stores if they can avoid it, having other people bring them food, or if they do go out to get food, to go during like off-peak hours so that there's less interaction with, with the general public because it is being transmitted in the community. Yeah. How about for our parents that have um, 
their parents or grandparents mm-hmm. taking care of the kids or older nannies or you know, have daily interaction. Is that something I know as adults, we are a little bit better about making sure that we wash our hands and mm-hmm. we, you know, aren't, you know, giving anything to grandparents or elderly people, but are we saying kids should stay away from older people? Is it still kind of hard to? Well, here's the, these are great questions yeah. and we just don't have the answers because the issue is kids, when they get infected, they're ill, they're either mildly inf- affected, so they have mild symptoms or they're asymptomatic. So then if you're having an older person, a grandma or a great grandma have interaction with the one-year-old, you know, they might not take the appropriate precautions because the kid doesn't appear to be sick. Can they transmit it? Probably. The risk of transmission is probably lower if they're less symptomatic because they're not coughing or sneezing. Right. That makes sense. And I think that this is a good point to talk about, you know, this is all over the news. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that parents are showing their anxiety. I know my parents are showing their anxiety around this this virus. And I mm-hmm. think younger kids or even high schoolers can be ha- have trouble kind of wrapping their head and understanding, like, should I be worried? What mm-hmm. should I do? And so... So if, how do you talk with the kids? How do you talk with the older kids, yeah. with the, the teenagers about things like this or, or other things that are in the news that cause them might cause them to worry? Some distress, Yeah. So you definitely want to acknowledge their fears. You want to take time to make yourself available and Mm -hmm. talk to them. Um, You do want to limit the exposure to some of this stuff Mm -hmm. on, you know, maybe you don't just want to have the news on all day, nonstop, nonstop. Mm -hmm. Um, but you should talk openly with them um, and provide them information if they're wanting it that's Mm -hmm. accurate so making sure you're going to accurate websites like the cdc or other places like that because we know there's a lot of myths regarding coronavirus and and there's a lot of misinformation out there exactly you also want to kids younger kids and older kids alike like being able to take control Mm -hmm. so giving them things they can do giving them their own little hand sanitizers Mm, or showing them how to wash their hands appropriately Mm -hmm. you're able to kind of like arm them with things that they can do to help Mm -hmm. and then if they're nervous like you know why aren't we going to see grandma and grandpa this week we Mm -hmm. go to see them every week Mm -hmm. you can just you know tell them in you know calm plain terms that you know grandma and grandpa are really healthy and we don't think anything is going to happen to them, but we're just taking extreme precautions. Because we care about them. Because we care about them. Mm -hmm. And um, so all of those things, there's some great information on healthychildren.org that we can post on the website, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the CDC about how to talk to your kids. But we acknowledge that this can be a tricky thing to do. It can be because we also have to acknowledge that this is potentially serious and we are all concerned and this is affecting everybody's lives with cancellation of schools and events. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of parents, even here at the hospital, are concerned. You know, a few school districts are closed Mm -hmm. and their nannies may be in the older high risk age group or mm-hmm. and so it does involve moving our lives around and all being there you know your employers and mm-hmm. your friends to support each other during this time because it's we, challenging it is and we need to be sympathetic so when the nanny is saying like i'm worried that i'm going to get it because i'm older or my spouse is older and i don't want to bring potentially bring this infection to them, you know, I think we need to be really sympathetic to that and that they they do need to take care of themselves. Yeah. 
So a lot of parents calling our advice line again Mm -hmm. and coming into the clinic with fever and runny nose Mm -hmm. and asking if they should be tested. And I know we touched on this last time. Mm -hmm. Um, Is the recommendation still that mild disease that Mm -hmm. mimics any of the other kind of colds that you wouldn't necessarily seek medical attention for, Mm -hmm. um, that those do not need to be tested? Right. And so, you know, it would be interesting. I, I I, think we should just get this out in the open that we're all sort of curious, right? If you had a cold, like, is this it? Do, am I getting it? Because we'd all be sort of curious about that. But you wouldn't do anything different, right? You wouldn't do anything different if your kid had influenza versus COVID-19 versus some other respiratory virus. Actually, for influenza, you might want to take an antiviral to shorten the illness. Yeah, if you're in the beginning. But, you yeah. know, mostly it's things like Tylenol and Motrin and mm-hmm. drinking lots of fluids and, you know, cool compresses when they have mm-hmm. a fever and when waiting it out. And limiting contact with others so you don't pass the infection along. Yeah, very good point. Mm-hmm. So we're still recommending that even though this is, you know, scary and out there when your kid has mild illness, fever, runny nose, but is otherwise drinking normally and peeing normally. Staying hydrated. Staying hydrated Mm -hmm. and acting like themselves when they're not having a fever, then it's not something that we need to do at this time. Right. Just like any other upper respiratory infection, I would treat it the exact same way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, Any other messages that are new that we want to get out to our listeners this week? I think um, with the, I think you touched on the extreme social distancing that might go into effect. And so we need to pay attention to the news, pay attention to what our local public health authorities are saying and follow their advice. They're, you know, they're protecting us from illness. And so they're really my heroes are the, the public health folks. Definitely. Um, We will hopefully be back next week to give you a new update. Mm -hmm. Um, In the meantime, you can reach out to us on social media with any questions you have, and we can address them on next week's episode. Mm -hmm. And um, also posted on this episode's website is a conversation that Dr. Lena and I had last week when we um, talked um, to our uh, American Academy of Pediatrics um, chapters in California. And parents might find that interesting. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.